dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW network. It saved this city. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. Hey, and welcome to Save the City Podcast. It's episode 11 of the podcast. You're probably getting this uh, on Friday, right after uh, the Legends of Tomorrow uh, episode 2 has already aired. But I won't be including that review in this week's podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Murdick, by the way. I am from Save This City Podcast at WordPress.com. That's your one stop shop for all things this podcast like the back episodes in downloadable or streaming form. You can also find the social media and contact links and also podcatcher links. And if you could please leave me a review on iTunes or on Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you use um, to help this podcast stay more noticeable, I would very much appreciate it. This week we're going to be covering... Uh, one Flash episode, two Arrow episodes, since I didn't, wasn't able to review last week's Arrow episode yet, and then the last week's Legends of Tomorrow as well. So, we've got Flash, Season 2, Episode 11, The Reverse Flash Returns, written by Aaron and Todd Helbing, and directed by Michael Alowitz, first up. I guess, for me, there there's just so much heartbreak in this episode, um, heartbreak that actually really worked rather than just seeming like CW man's mandate stuff. Um, none of it felt really all that forced. None of it felt, um, anything except the pain that you were supposed to feel for the characters because of the heartbreak. And, um, it was pretty well done considering how, how depressing of an episode it actually was. Um, at one point, Though I, I will say that I was really worried since Patty was figuring it all out about Barry that they would keep her in the show. And then I worried that that meant that they were going to have reverse flash killer towards the end of the episode. Um, but instead, you know, we get this girl who shows how smart she is and how sensitive she is. And she leaves anyway. She lets it go. She's able to move on. Uh, I, I thought that that was really beautiful. Um, it was absolutely heartbreaking for me because I love, 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 love Patty Spivet now. Um, she is um, just one of the dolls, and I, I hate to see her go. I hope she, she'll be back t- before the end of the season. If they only have her away for a few episodes, uh, maybe they'll find some reason that they need to bring it back. But it, the way they ended that storyline, that was just so beautifully done. Uh, by the showrunners, or at least this portion of the storyline. Um, another really heartbreaking thing that I didn't expect to be heartbreaking was the whole Joel, Iris, and, and Francine thing. Um, I mean, saying goodbye to someone who is dying is usually somewhat overdone uh, drama in, in TV land. Um, and maybe this one was a little bit overdone too, but it, it still felt earned despite the fact that I can't really think of any reason as to how the heartbreak was earned. Again, it's just like the showrunners and and the execution of the episode managed to um, defy the logic uh, because of the excellent execution of the story. 
Now, I'm still not really on board with the whole Wally thing. Uh, that that's still kind of frustrating to me because once again, let's just let's just go through this and think about it. First, he shows up at the West House for Christmas. Then last week he says that he wants nothing to do with the West and he's only in town to race cars so that he can help his mom. But then in this episode, he refuses to see his mom. Well, until the end. And that got paid off really nice with the talk with him and Iris. So um, it's just that Wally is so, uh, as I said last week, wishy Wally that um, I, I just don't know what his motivations are. They're, they're not consistent uh, from storyline to storyline so far. And uh, I hope they straighten it out because that, that's kind of frustrating to me. And I really want to be able to invest in the Wally West character if they're going to go in the direction that the comic books go with Wally West. So that that's really the one kind of big nitpick that I have for the episode, I think. But uh, something that I just absolutely applauded um, this particular episode was Tom Cavanaugh and, and Carlos Valdez um, doing what they do as as Wells and uh, Cisco. I mean, if you don't know that Tom Cavanaugh and Carlos Valdez always seem to do these little side projects together, just just go to uh, Carlos's YouTube page and look at some of the little skits that they've done together. Um, I think that that pretty much explains the kind of fantastic chemistry um, that those two actors have and how that translates between uh, their characters also. Harrison and Cisco are, are just amazing together uh, when they're paired together. And the vibe thing really worked in this episode. I loved all of it. Um, I got to admit that when Cisco's nose started bleeding uh, because of what we knew that Wells had done to the turtle, I was worried that Wells had rigged the visor somehow to kill Cisco uh, because maybe Cisco would be the one guy who could, you know, figure out that uh, Wells was uh, g- could possibly flip sides or had at least talked to Zoom. So I was genuinely concerned uh, for Cisco on uh, this whole episode. And then when they, they made it into the, into the I guess, the time thing or the fact that Thawne was still around, um, then I eased up a little bit on it. But um, it's great to see this conflicted character um of Harrison Wells again. Uh, I I just look forward to that every week. Kavanaugh is just knocking this character out of the park, and I had you know I'd seen him in Ed um, and loved him in that show, but uh, the depth of acting that that Kavanaugh is doing right now with the Wells character is just amazing, and you never know which side of the conflicted guy you're going to get from week to week, so it makes you want to come back. And see more. I love that. There were a few sciencey kind of things in this episode that I don't even try to understand anymore. I, I either just have to accept it or roll my eyes. One of the two. Um, the only thing that I will say is that it feels like you know this explanation of the speed force in, in terms of Thawne kind of has made speed force become the Flash's uh, version of Arrow's Lazarus Pit in a way. Um, I don't. I didn't get the explanation of how the Speed Force would have kept Thawne from being wiped from history at all. Nor did I really understand uh, how, if everyone is using this facial recognition software to try and find the Jay's doppelganger, it uh, wouldn't matter what the guy's name was. 
if it's facial recognition, it's going to recognize a similar face. And clearly, you know, I mean, the guy that, that Jay showed Caitlin uh, had the same face as him. Um, it's not like it was scanning DNA. It's just facial recognition. So it doesn't make any sense um, that the, the facial recognition wouldn't have picked him up um, to that point yet. It, it, you know, the, the, the whole name change thing uh, only made sense for, for Jay, really. It certainly didn't explain why nobody else could find him. And that whole Caitlyn J thing just really kind of seemed inconsequential uh, and continues to seem inconsequential right now. So I don't really have that much more to say about that. Now, as for the reverse flash, I mean, other than, you know, getting that speed force explanation, uh, not really being my thing, uh, I did love, 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 love seeing Thawne again. Um, and I, I like this guy who plays Thawne as opposed to, um, you know, the guy uh, having Harrison Wells be the reverse flash. Um, this guy does evil and creepy and inquisitive all at the same time. And it, and it really worked. Um, I also like how Wells put together that this is kind of Thawne's origin story. And I, I love the interaction between him and Thawne. Um, you know, and the way that he didn't want really to let, you know, what did he say? I'm nobody of consequence. I think this is what he said to Thon. Uh, but you know that that's this particular meeting is the one reason, uh, probably that, uh, Thon ends up coming back, uh, into time and, uh, killing earth one wells. Um, so I love how they made all of that make sense. Also, I, I guess we know now why it was easy uh, for Thawne to will himself to kill Cisco in that other timeline because, I mean, let's face it, Cisco more or less got up in Thawne's face in this episode. That was not a very smart thing to do, and he thought he was going to be locked away forever. And instead, uh, what we get is this uh, this paradox thing which could end up ruining Cisco um, somehow vibing him out of time or existence, which I didn't understand that either, but I don't care. It was still a threat to Cisco and I love Cisco. So I was, uh, you know, I was like, just get Thawne out of there, you know? Um, and, uh, they had to redo the, uh, the whole, uh, the whole speeding around thing and creating the vortex and then Barry throwing them through, even though you would have liked for them to have been able to, to kept Thawne imprisoned. It almost seemed inevitable that he was going to have to get forward so that he could go back again and create the events um, that had led up to this point uh, for Barry and his family and for everyone. So uh, it's nice that they, they found a solution for that. Um, these kind of bootstrap paradoxes always weird me out, but uh, I, I, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to talk time travel too much. There's probably some time travel we can talk about in the legends of, of tomorrow stuff. Uh, all in all, for this Flash episode, I'm going to give it a... Uh, I'm going I'm going high because the heartbreak just really got me. Uh, and as you all know, I am a sap. And so when stuff gets sappy, not ch cheesy sappy, but when stuff gets um, sappy, pull at my heartstrings, Blake Neely doing his job with a good musical score um, and some some moving acting, then I tend to boost my ratings a little bit. And I'm going, I'm going to go as high, uh, uh, almost a nine for this episode. For me, this was easily 
one of the best uh, episodes of the season so far. I I just really, really dug it. I thought it was fantastic. And, um, you know, I'm glad, you know, it, some, sometimes an epic character like the reverse Flash coming back helps it, helps it too. Um, maybe even motivates the, the writers uh, to write a little better or the actors to act a little better or the director to, to choose different kinds of shots or the visual effects team to put that little extra flair on something. Whatever it is, um, this lived up to a reverse flash story in, in every facet of execution um, and in writing, I thought. So uh, other than some of the silly scientific explanations, which is why I really can't go any higher than a nine. I have to drop it a full point for that at very least. Um, but that's it for the flash for this week. Now I have to go back to last week's arrow episode because I wasn't able to see it uh, until I got back from my little bit of touring this week. Uh, so we're going now to season four, episode 10 of Arrow entitled Blood Debts. And that was written by Oscar Balderrama and Sarah Tarkoff. And it was directed by Jesse Warren, who's been doing a lot for the Supergirl. And I mean, he's he's going through all of the shows uh, of doing episodes. Uh, poor guy. I, I don't know how he's keeping track of everything in his head uh, as he goes from episode to episode. But uh uh, doing a pretty good job. I mean, I, I did like the look of, of this episode for the most part. Um, but of course the, the big storyline for me is the flash forward. Once again, uh, it's amazing how two minutes of an episode can occupy so much of your thinking time. <laughs> um, and we have still have evidently four months to go on the flash forward, right? It did say f- four months in advance or something like that. So I'm just wondering now if we're not even going to see who dies until like the season finale or maybe the, the penultimate episode of the season, uh, they may be able to hold it off that long since they keep pushing the flashbacks further and just adding a little piece to it from here. You know, um, we know that who, isn't in the grave. We know it's not Oliver. We know it's not Barry. We now know it's not Felicity because she's sitting there in the car. And here's the thing that got me. Um, Felicity has always been, you know, this beacon light in kind of this sea of Oliver's darkness. And now she is saying that someone's got to die. I mean, if she's saying this, um, then whoever's in that grave must be someone who is extremely, important to Felicity. And that brings me to a whole other list of candidates that I hadn't considered before. Maybe her mother. Um, maybe, you know, I, I, I don't know who, um, it could still be very important to Oliver. It could still be his son. It could still be, uh, the mother of his son. It could still be a whole bunch of things. Um, and there could be lots of reasons, uh, why it came down to this. Um, because I also want to give a shout out to our sometimes co-host, co-host uh, Donald, who is at Donald Jr. on Twitter, if you want to follow him. Uh, he tweeted at me and Camille, who is at Lady Oddity, that um, Felicity was not wearing her engagement ring in that flash forward shot. So it makes you wonder, is it because the whole sun thing comes up, which separates them? Um you know, when Barry went back in time during the the legend stuff, uh, the crossover episodes, 
um, they were already on the split. Um, so, you know, he averted that by redoing the timeline because they'd all be dead if, if he hadn't. But nonetheless, he had, you know, um, we learned even in this week's Legends episode that just because um, things don't happen in the same way as far as time is concerned, it doesn't necessarily mean that the same thing doesn't happen just in a different way. So is there going, is the sun thing still going to be an issue for him and Felicity or is it something else? Um, I certainly don't think that it was a continuity error that they just forgot to put the engagement ring on her. Um, they, they don't seem that sloppy to me. The showrunners don't or the directors don't. So it's got to mean something. Um, and as of this week's episode, there's really no answer to that yet. It may be a while yet. Um, but I mean, the whole idea of this is, is just brutal to me because we had some amazingly sweet moments, uh, in last week's episode and this week's episode. Uh, but specifically last week in, in blood debts between the two of them in the hospital and him, uh, you know, putting the ring back on her and you think everything's going to be okay. But then you also have this whole thing hanging over their heads. If Felicity can never walk again, um, um, there could be some additional trauma issues there, which I think we got through most of that this last week or, or this week's episode. We'll talk more about that later, but um, there could still be some lingering psychological trauma there that, that could cause stuff. But I will say this, though, in that car shot, it didn't I didn't see any evidence of a wheelchair or any kind of walker or anything like that. Um, so I don't know if it just means that she just was waiting in the car because she can't go anywhere else because the wheelchair is in the trunk. Or if she's cured um, at that point. I mean, there's nothing but questions that these, you know, the only answer that we got um, in the flashback of blood debt or the flash forward of blood debts was the fact that Felicity is not the one in the grave. We know that much. That's the only thing new that we know. Uh, And the possibilities just got opened up tenfold. Um, So that was... uh, that was a good way to keep everybody uh, involved and, and thinking. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. Um, go to Thea now real quick. And and her whole bloodlust thing, they, 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 I feel like they, they emphasize this whole bloodlust thing at the beginning of the season. And then they've kind of just kind of backed off of it, um, both with her and with um, Sarah Lance, um, which we'll talk about a little bit about that in the Legends thing, too. But it's still just very unclear as to what kind of hold it has on either of them right now. Um, I do like that they brought back the, the Lonnie uh, Machen back to have her, you know, uh, face it head on again. Um, now, as for Thea's dating life, um, this is the kind of stuff that kind of bothers me. You know, the, the flip-flop stuff. It's always boring to me. But I still have to say, I still don't trust that campaign advisor guy. Um, there's part of me that just thinks, uh, and maybe I'm jumping at shadows, uh, which we'll get into when I talk about the next episode too, but it's just Damien Dark is too smart. He's got to have a plant on the inside somewhere. Is it the campaign manager? Is it uh, to keep just to keep an eye on Oliver? Because I don't think Dark has put it together that Oliver is the arrow yet. Um, but, uh, is, uh, that the case? Um, and I'll talk about my other candidate for a plant, um, when we talk about the next episode, but he has to be something, he has to be something integral to the dark plot 
or um, or to Thea's bloodlust plot, because otherwise this flip flopping back and forth love story crap is just boring and useless and has no place in this show except to waste film. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, I will say that you know for the first time so far uh, in this episode, as far as John and Andrew Diggle go, um, that stuff was not boring to me. Um, it was kind of a little convenient to have Andrew just suddenly you know flip and and spit out info after being so tightened up, all because you know uh, John said I'm sorry uh, because he reached out. Um, but again, this whole thing with, with Diggle and, uh, and Andrew or with John and Andrew, this, this bit about John working out his own issues with Andrew, uh, which I feel is accentuated a lot in the next episode as well. I did like the progress on that front. Um, and (laughs) who would have thought that Damien Dark has a heart? You saved my family, so I'm going to give you some time to be with yours before I kill you. Well, okay, somewhat of a heart. But uh, then Wifey gets all mad at him, calling him out about, uh, you know, having a moment of weakness there instead of just taking the arrow out. I mean, this is a crazy family, and they're talking about resets and all of this uh, crazy, it sounds like world annihilation stuff. It's It doesn't sound good at all. Um, and we didn't get any other answers about like the cornfield or the algae or what it is that they're, they're planning to do. Um, but, uh, we'll have to see, uh, if any of that comes to fruition in the next couple of weeks, it certainly hasn't up to this point. I had, uh, mentioned that I was beginning to like Laurel, a, you know, a little bit more before, but it seems like this episode, especially she, she's just doesn't have very much to offer um save like a, a convenient you know canary call once in a while or, or serving up some kind of protest or advice um that really most of the advice that she's offered so far ought to be common sense for anyone um so got to say Laurel was a little disappointing this week i guess the kind of comedic moment with her uh and her dad and Felicity's mom was okay um and I do like that how insanely dark as some of these episodes have been, um, they still managed to work in a little bit of humor. Um, they, they scattered around a little bit. So that was good just to, to be able to, to smile for a minute and just, uh, giggle at how stupid that whole situation is with Laurel's dad and Felicity's mom. I guess the last thing to talk about is the flashbacks. And I have to say that, um, as far as the island flashbacks go, I've had very little interest other than what's the end game, uh, what's happening, because really what happens in between, whether he's getting eaten by a shark or he's getting whipped or he's getting, you know, thrown into a jail cell or he's putting a gun to his head, none of that matters. We know that Oliver is alive five years later, you know, um, or however many years later. So it, there's there's no consequence to it. Um, and I hate the fact that they keep trying to put consequence into things that you know have no consequence. Um, that's that's a waste of time. It's just a way to add an extra, you know, couple of shots for their stunt teams, usually, I guess. Maybe they're just trying to give the stunt guys some work. I don't know. Um, but it, it really does seem pointless. But I, on the other hand, you know, the whole glowing uh, 
tattoo or whatever that Oliver had going on there. Um, that added a little bit of at least intrigue. Uh, but again, it's just towards the end game, whatever that is. And, you know, whatever ends up on these maps, um, I guess we're going to eventually get to whatever it is that is this whole mystical thing. Because it's all got to be tied into the Damien Dark mystical thing. It may even be tied into uh, Damien Dark's plan. Um, you know, so the flashbacks will have to pay off the current storyline at some point. Um, but I don't need I don't need feigned peril on the journey to get there. In fact, I don't even need flashbacks every week. You could give me flashbacks every other week and I would be fine. At least island flashbacks every other week because they're not really going anywhere um, except for maybe, you know, 10 seconds of information out of every 10 minutes uh, of episode that they use for the flashbacks. So that's kind of a complaint that I have. Uh, Still, all in all, this was a good episode. I'm glad Felicity's okay. I'm glad she made it. It was a nice way to kind of thrust, thrust us back into the main Arrow storyline uh, as opposed to having to worry about launching Legends and all of that stuff. Um, I'm going to give this episode an 8 point... I'll say 8.4. Um, you know, it was it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And uh, I've got another Arrow episode to review here real quick, so let's go to that which is uh, Season 4, Episode 11, entitled AWOL, which was written by Emilio Ortega Aldrich and Brian Ford Sullivan and directed by Charlotte Branstrom. Another good episode. I, I have to say that, you know, the the big thing for me with this one was um, the Diggle Brothers, actually, more so even than Felicity. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the Felicity stuff. Maybe I should talk about that first because it is, you know, a pretty huge episode for Felicity. Uh, we talked about the, the trauma that uh, might be causing problems between her and Oliver. That seems to have gotten kind of uh, sewn up and nipped up in the bud uh, this time. Like I said, there might still be some lingering things that can be triggered uh, later on. We'll have to see. But uh, I love that uh, she fought her old self or she fought her fears and uh, was able to, to get back on, on Team Arrow. Now she's got a code name, Overwatch. I also love the joke about the, the name Oracle being taken. Uh, that was great. That was a nice little shout-out to the fans um, you know, that were frustrated uh, about where they thought Felicity's character was going with the whole Barbara Gordon thing. So uh, I'm glad that they, they paid homage to the fans with that little line there. And, and it was funny too um as for the younger felicity i mean poor girl i mean oliver and 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 current day felicity are are both kind of bashing her for her looks but i gotta say dark hair and and wearing black like that uh, i thought felicity looked pretty good (laughs) uh I, i i did i i i didn't understand why they were slamming her looks um her personality i can understand her looks not so much and like I said, it was good to have Felicity face up to her fears, and, and, and she did really well, despite, I guess, what she would call the one mistake. I don't call it a mistake. I don't think anybody else uh, saw anything about that as her fault. But, uh, you know, I she's got a lot of stuff going on, <laughs> obviously. She can't walk. She's feeling very helpless, and so um, any failure is going to be magnified to her, um, whether it's a failure or not. But again, just like in, in the Blood Debts episode here in AWOL, the moments between her and Oliver 
were very touching and and they were great and this is the kind of relationship thing that I can handle in my superhero show. I don't have any problem with it. We don't have any of this cr- level love triangle crap, although that can still come up with the sun. I, I admit it's still out there. It's still a possibility. Um, but we don't have any of that. We don't have any of this angst. I killed your father kind of thing. You know, um, I am worried about Donald's observation though, that she wasn't wearing her engagement ring in that flash forward in last week's episode. Um, but for now, I'm very happy to have me some Elicity Bliss. I'm, I'm perfectly cool with that. I know not, oh, not it's not for everybody, but I, I loved it. Um, I especially loved Oliver's talk with her at the end about, you know, how the damage may be permanent, but they live in a world where there are metahumans and, and Lazarus pits and anything is, is really possible in regards to her condition. Um, so uh, it's always good to have hope right? Have a little hope. Now, as far as uh, John and Andrew Diggle go, um, this was a good use of flashbacks. I don't mind flashbacks if they inform or develop character, and they even managed to tie in the island story with Andrew's backstory. I thought that was a great idea. Um, I also like that even though we kind of knew a lot that had happened between John and Andrew um, based on, you know, their conversations either with Oliver or with each other. Um, The fact that John was duped by Andy during their time in Afghanistan, I I think that that's what really the crux, and I mentioned this uh, about when I was talking about the last episode, about how this relationship with Andrew and John isn't about what Andrew did to John. Um, this is about John feeling responsible. He's not mad at Andrew for betraying him. He's mad at himself because he didn't see it because if he had seen it, he could help. And, um, I think that John really feels like he failed Andy as a brother, not that Andy failed him as a brother, even though that's the way he's directing his anger. Um, I think the real issue, I, I think when you saw the expression uh, when he thought that he was being duped by Andy um, in, in one of the Afghanistan flashbacks, um, you saw that John was seeing it as his failure, not as Andy's failure. Um, back to the island guy real quick, though, uh, and Andrew. It, here's the thing. If Andrew knows something about the island and Oliver knows something about the island, um, maybe between the two of them, uh, we can figure out what's going on a little faster or, or at least get an idea of where the island flashback storyline is going. Um, they do like dragging that stuff out, though, with the flashbacks. It's just it's painful, very painful. It, it was also nice to see Andrew and, and John kind of put aside their differences for the most part and work together in this episode. Um, I'll, I'll use the phrase cautious optimism. When I describe how I feel about where they are at at the moment. Um, But as I mentioned before about Thea's boyfriend, I I keep jumping at shadows. And now I'm thinking, you know, Damien Dark is a smart guy. And um, I just it seems awful convenient that it's it's John's brother who happens to get captured and doesn't do the, the whole suicide bite 
thing, you know, the cyanide pill or whatever. It seems awfully convenient that Andrew didn't kill himself, especially if he is so much under the influence of Dark, unless Dark had told him not to. And maybe it's because we know that Damien Dark wants to know who Arrow is. And maybe despite um, Andrew winning some trust here from John, he still might be a Damien Dark plant. Um, and because uh, again, Dark was just obsessed with with finding out more about the arrow. It's possible that Andrew is a plant to find that info out and may still um, betray everybody. Um, I'm I'm probably jumping at shadows here, like I said, um, but I I almost would feel irresponsible if I didn't at least ask those kind of questions right now. And as far as Diggle's wife, Lila is back in action, uh, and it was nice that they brought Argus back, but whoa! I mean, I was shocked that they killed Amanda Waller, um, especially since they're just launching this whole suicide thing on the movie side of things, Warner Brothers is. Um, it, it seems weird that they, they killed her off in the show. That was very unexpected for me. I'm actually, I'm, I'm not versed enough in, in the comics as far as Amanda Waller goes to know if she does meet her fate somehow in, in the comics or not. So if you can help me out on that, that'd be appreciated. Um, save this city podcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at save this city pod, or you can call three, one, four, six, six, nine, one, eight, four, zero, and leave me a voicemail. Um, as for Lila herself though, I mean, will she return to Argus now? I'm certain that Oliver and, and John would be very appreciative of any help that Argus could get in terms of fighting Hive or um, finding out more about Dark. Her main, Lila's main reason for leaving Argus in the first place seemed to be Amanda Waller. And now that she's gone, uh, it seems logical that she would go back. Um, maybe not, though, with their little girl and all. The other characters, uh, a lot of them were just kind of relegated to background this week. Thea was very much relegated to the background this week. Laurel still doesn't really seem to have much to do except give advice. Um, at least her advice to Oliver was good advice this time. And I, I, I just one of the things that I do love is that they, they did in this episode uh, that they haven't done in a while. But I love seeing the training stuff. Um, you know, and, and it, it gives a, a great backdrop to talk about these kind of things, the relationship issues or, or exposition for, for the plot line or, or whatever. It gives them a chance to do that. And they used to do that a lot in like season one and maybe even season two, um, with, uh, Roy and, uh, Oliver or with, uh, um, you know, just Oliver on his own or with Diggle. Um, they used to do that a lot in the earlier season and I really love that. So I, I you know. Uh, I did love seeing uh, Laurel and Oliver training because you got to keep those skills up. Uh, and every once in a while, it's nice to see them that they actually have to practice. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't just come to them uh, the second they wake up, not without practice. Now, as for who they were fighting, evidently that practice paid off because the villains themselves were not very interesting this week. The Shadow sp- Spire or whatever. I feel like that it was just a group of military sleazeballs is all it really was. And and let's face it, for military guys, they don't seem to know anything about hand-to-hand combat at all because they got their butts kicked by everybody uh, in Argus uh, once they, you know, once they were taken by surprise, all because 
Andrew lunged forward? Come on. Got to be better than that. Um, so Shadow Spire never really seemed to be that much of a threat. But what are they going after with the Rubicon thing? Now that seems interesting, and I wonder if that's a key to the overall plot as we go forward as well. Um, that was really the most interesting thing about Shadow Spire was what they were actually trying to get. Um, so there you go. And I guess that's it for uh, the 11th episode of Arrow for AWOL. All in all, I'll give this one, uh, gosh, like an 8.2. Uh, I mean, I love the Felicity stuff, but I didn't really get overly excited about it. I loved the uh, the Diggle stuff, the Diggle Brothers. I, I thought that David Ramsey and Eugene Bird were great uh, in this episode. Um, but... Um, you know, it was a long time coming and it, and it felt, you know, like it was just something they needed to get out of the way so that it can move to the next step, whatever that step is, whether it's Andrew betraying or whether it's just Andrew coming into the fold. I don't know which yet uh, have to ask the question either way. But it just it just felt like it felt like they were just kind of clearing the table, uh, resetting the table almost so that they can concentrate on Oliver versus Dark uh, from here on out is what it felt like a lot. And there will be, you know, undoubtedly, there's going to be a, a few standalone villains uh, as we go along because there's always kind of a lull until they can get to the big build-up to the season finale. Um, but I do like that they're layering in the flashbacks. Um, that was very exciting. Um, but overall, I, I can't give it really any better than, well, let's say an 8.2. I don't think it was as good as Blood Debts was. Um, um, nearly as good but not quite as good. And that's it for the Arrow Talk. I only have one other show to talk about uh, for this week, and that's The Legends of Tomorrow, Pilot Part 1. That seems weird, uh, dividing a pilot up into two parts. I don't know. I guess Lost did that as well, maybe. Uh, But I thought that was during syndication and not when it first premiered. I could be wrong about that, though. Uh, anyway, this episode was written by all of the showrunners that you know from all of the shows. Uh, they all threw their little pins into this one. Greg Berlanti, Mark Guggenheim, Andrew Kreisberg, and Phil Klimmer all wrote on the episode, and it was directed by Glenn Winter. Who you've probably heard that name quite a bit through the Supergirl stuff. Um, well, throughout, the, again, uh, a lot of these guys are, are just traveling from, from franchise to franchise or studio to studio, and... Uh, um, just staying in the superhero world for, you know, a whole year, seems like shooting stuff, I guess. Um, but there's your info on it. Uh, let, let's talk about it. Just a couple of little quick Easter egg things that I just thought really were, were great. Um, first of all, the Gideon thing. Uh, the Gideon intelligence, which is part of this wave rider ship. Um, that's the same computer aid, I'm assuming, that uh, aids Thawne. Um, the you know the reverse flash that's that's what he's relied on, so that was a great payoff for that. Um, another nice little tidbit that kind of relayed back to Flash was uh, the fact that Cisco designed Sarah's white canary outfit. Um, Love that as well. Now, when when you get launched into this thing, though, I mean, uh, let's talk about it from I guess the good guys. Are they good guys? Uh, the good, the rogue good guys, all guys, all guys that are not on Team Savage or, or Team Time whatever, uh, managers or whatever they are. Um, 
just the whole recruitment of this gang, um, it seemed a little overly smooth to me. Um, not so much the part about who wanted to go or who didn't want to go. Uh, I think they had enough people kind of pro and con to make that okay. But it was just kind of really the, the brief introduction of each character and then the abduction of them. It, it all seemed extremely uncomplicated, too easy. Some of the discussion as as to whether to go or not was kind of cheesy as well. Um, I could see it being really hard, though, for a brand new audience. Um, if you hadn't watched Flash or Arrow before and you just happened upon this show, you'd be going, well, who are these people? Um, because I, I think that this show does depend on the fact that you at very least watched the the special that they put out last week to prep you for it. Otherwise, uh, these are a bunch of people that are at best minor characters in the DC comic series. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get some hate mail for that, but uh, at least like as compared to a Batman or a Wonder Woman or a Supergirl or a Superman, um, they're very minor characters. Um, and so you need, you need story. Um, you need, you need to pull people in and get them invested. And they did do that later on in the episode. I just would have, you know, I'm glad I gave it past the halfway point of the episode to get invested. Uh, rather than being ticked off by the first 15 minutes that it's like I didn't feel like I knew anything about any of these people. Except for, you know, like maybe the Ray thing. I, th- I thought the Ray Oliver talk was good because, uh, and again, that's probably because I watch Arrow, that I felt it more so than if I had never seen these guys before. Because, um, you know, if you'd never seen Arrow before, then you wouldn't even know who Oliver was. And their conversation wouldn't make any sense to you at all. But the fact that Ray has been dead before or people thought he was dead and he really didn't seem to matter, you know, and he wants to matter. And the way that that all gets flipped around at the end where, you know, Hunter basically tells him, you know, well, none of you actually matter. You know, uh, the whole Ray through line of of making himself matter, I thought was nice. And that was nicely introduced um, in the Ray and Oliver talk. The Captain Cold and Heat Wave talk, I guess, was okay. The Sarah Laurel talk, that was just kind of meh. And that seemed almost a little forced with the whole costume. How did Laurel even know to get a costume for Sarah? That seemed ridiculous. Um, Sarah had been in Tibet uh, for who knows how long. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, Laurel's just got this costume waiting for her when she comes back. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, the, uh, the Stein Jacks thing seemed a little forced, uh, too strong willed, uh, a little too overdone. The fact that Stein has to drug Jacks, I mean, really, um, that seemed uh, just a little bit too much heavy handed. And I absolutely love Arthur Darvel. I I loved his character, Roy in Dr. Who, and it seems so fitting that he plays a time uh, traveler, uh, in this series too. Um, but in the introduction, in the first 15 minutes, the whole Rip Hunter character seemed a little over the top. And maybe that was Hunter actually going over the top, too, uh, to give himself a little more authority over these guys. Because really, once we find out at the end of the episode, he has no authority over any of this. Um, he's even running from his own people. For good reason, which we'll get to in a second. But it just, you know, uh, even Arthur Darville seemed a little bit over the top in the first 15 minutes. But once again, uh, because this is a pilot and pilots are always tricky. So I kind of try to give pilots this like sliding scale 
as far as introductions go. And typically I would let some things pass that I wouldn't let pass in an episode five or six. I'll still complain about them. I just won't judge the pilot quite as harshly uh, based on the observation as I would in episode five or six. And the thing is that even if you have trouble investing in these guys on the wave rider side, let's call it the wave rider side because some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. It doesn't really matter. The villains were epic in this episode. And and that gives you motivation to root for the heroes more so than the heroes themselves. I think in the, in this episode, I mean, throw out all the visual effects stuff. I mean, that was all great. It was fine. It was as good as television generally gets as far as sci-fi stuff goes, had no problem with that at all. But what sells you about the destruction of humanity is seeing Vandal Savage killing a woman and a child in his very first appearance of the episode with zero remorse. I mean, not even in a creepy thing, just in a mechanical, cold, uh, just evil way. And and you get on board with anybody who might want to stop this guy instantly. So when you then have that tie in to Rip Hunter's story that find out that that woman was his wife, that that child was his son, um, that he stole the wave rider from the, the time people um, because uh, it's a matter of, of not just personal vengeance for him, um, but because he doesn't want to see anybody else's life torn apart the way his life has been torn apart by what Savage does in the very beginning of the episode. I mean, you're, the way all of that paid off was beautiful, I thought. I, I just absolutely love that. And you get payoffs for all of the characters in that way by the end of the episode. As far as Vandal goes, I mean, first of all, they kind of sufficiently explain the whole Chiara, Khufu, Savage love triangle. CW mandate, love triangle. Um, both in terms of, of motivation and explanation, I guess. And I guess that also lead, that led to the kind of somewhat acceptable explanation of how Savage could still be alive even after um, he was just a pile of ash. Uh, all it took was one little genome, uh, which obviously Malcolm Merlin had something to do with. I, I don't know if we'll ever get a, a going back in time so we can see how that worked or not. I hope we do uh, at some point. But Chiara and Khufu, of course, with this um, professor who turns out to be their son from a prior life dying at the hands of Kronos, who's really, you know, you think about it, this Kronos is a really badass character, too. I mean, that battle scene um, with Kronos was just flat epic. I mean, it was certainly better than the the bar fight that Sarah and, and uh, Mick and, and uh, Leonard got into, uh, although that was kind of funny with the whole Captain and Teal thing going on while they were fighting. Uh, but, I mean, the Kronos thing was just flat-out epic. And the only reason he is there is because he has to hunt down Hunter because Hunter is going after Savage. So, in a indirect way, Savage is responsible for their past lives, son's death. This show, with all the time travel, is going to be really hard to talk about, I'm betting in sometimes, especially with reincarnation involved. Anyway, uh, you can blame Sam Savage as much for that as you, as you can blame Kronos, I, I feel like. Um, but Kronos is just, that's total badass. So, so you've got Hunter, he's having to fight a battle on two fronts against 
the people that he's trying to save, basically, and uh, against the people who are trying to kill them all. So that that's a, that's a great two-front fight, which always makes uh, it impossible, and that's, that's why we look to superheroes as uh, people who can pull off the impossible. Uh, and uh, all of the, that shot uh, with the Kronos battle just looked great. And like I said, despite the kind of shaky beginning uh, in terms of the introductions of the end of the episode, you definitely have some pretty good motivations for everyone to stick with the mission. Um, some of it maybe was a little cheesy, but none of it really felt forced either. As, especially, again, if you've watched the Flash and the Arrow episodes in which these characters come from. Not so much maybe if you hadn't, but I did love that professor. I mean, he had his motivations that were equally as strong as his past life parents, as, as Shara and Khufu, because Vandal Savage had killed his parents in their, well, Shara and Khufu's past lives. So, uh, you know, he had equal reason to, to be doing all of this research and, and everything. Uh, and the fact that he is killed as a result of this mission where they're going to try and find Savage and, and they realize the danger of who Savage is and everything, um, then they are given extra motivation by the fact that, you know, uh, they feel responsible for having killed their son or their past life son. It's going to get real confusing talking like that. Um, killed their son. Let's just put it that way. Even though I, I do love, and once again, uh, this relates back to the questions I was asking about Oliver and the whole son thing and will that cause a split between him and Felicity? If she's not wearing the engagement ring, it's like time self-corrects, um, which is a very popular uh, theory about time that I know that the, the television show Lost used. I know that, uh, uh, you know, Flash seems to use it. So they're, they're going with a good basis of rules for time travel, I guess. And so would he have died anyway uh, if they'd have left him at, at the college? Well, yes. By trying to save him, all they did was change the circumstances by which uh, their son died rather than changing the circumstance of him dying, which makes the mission even that much more perilous because you have Sarah and Ray trying to figure out if they can change the future. Can they change their own fates? And that's a very interesting aspect because otherwise... I mean, you might as well call these guys the Suicide Squad, too, because it doesn't sound like any of them are going to live by the way that, that Hunter talks about them. Um, so it, it just I, I love, you know, the, the whole fight the future kind of thing uh, is great. And and then right at the end, I, I guess having Savage stealing nuclear warheads, that was as good a place to end the first of. Again, what is billed to be a two part pilot, which that episode will have aired uh just like an hour or so after I finished recording this one. But uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know how I feel about a two-part pilot. I, um, but I, I guess that's as good a place to leave it off as anywhere. The, it, the episode itself actually felt pretty self-contained. Um, if you'd have left that last little Vandal Savage scene out, you could have easily just gone to the credits right there and it would have been a single pilot episode. But now I guess I'm going to have to grade uh, episode two on the same sliding scale that I grade episode one since it's got the name pilot in it. Why couldn't they just do a two-hour movie? Maybe they did, actually. 
and the the network just decided to split it up so that they could get in their episode of the 100 or, or whatever. May not have been the showrunner's fault. Um, may have just been the network. So uh, I'll kind of give them a benefit of the doubt um, there. But uh, I'm going to probably have to wait until I see the second the second episode before I can give a definitive rating for this episode. But uh, my first inclination is to give it, you know, right around an 8.4, 8.5 as far as pilots go. Uh, let me preface that. Um, if this was just, you know, if this was an episode 10 of season one, uh, I might not be grading it quite so high. I don't know that I'd be going much lower than an eight. Um, I'd probably still be right around an eight somewhere, but it gets an extra nearly 0.5 because it is a pilot because uh, I can forgive things a little easier than um, if it was not a pilot. Uh, but if next week's or if episode two, I guess I should say, is as good as this uh, episode one or the pilot part two is as good as pilot part one, um, then everything may get bumped up a little bit. And that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that, you know, that the whole is, is greater than the sum of its parts. And I think I've talked enough already this week. Where are we at? We're we're good to uh, almost hour in, and I, I've said enough. I'm, you're probably tired of hearing me. We still have stuff to cover. Um, we're going to have a Tuesday podcast this next week where I will catch us up with the Supergirl talk, and I will look at the pilot part two from Legends of Tomorrow, and then hopefully we can get to uh, a regular two-episode-a-week format uh, where I'm covering Flash and Arrow in one episode and then Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow in the other episode. So that uh, that makes the episode links uh, shorter and makes the megabytes of download uh, smaller and uh, makes you having to listen to my annoying voice shorter. <laughs> but uh, if you have any thoughts uh, about any of these episodes that we've been talking about, I would love to hear from you. I haven't gotten any feedback lately, and part of that's probably because I had to call the hiatus and people just haven't come back to the podcast as much. Um, but I would love to hear from you. Any thoughts you have about any of these episodes, save this city podcast at gmail.com, or you can call 314-669-1840. We'll talk to you on Tuesday about Supergirl and the Legends Pilot Part 2. This is Matt. See ya. Find all back episodes and all contact links at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at savethiscitypod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use. <laughs>